Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. They always say to tightrope walkers, don't look down. But occasionally, we do. I often feel that I ask for too much to see fantastic footballers who spark your passion and your your own creativity and then to find them and meet them and then to find that they love football as much or even more than you and into the bargain, they're nice people. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Damien Duff. Stellar footballer, street footballer, skillful, artful dodger, manipulator of the football in a way that made you stand up and clap. Should have been Scottish. Wasn't. And we speak to him here. I hope you get as much of a thrill out of it as Neil and Martin and I did. I've forgiven him for trying to ruin my early freelance life in Barcelona at the camp now. Chelsea, Barcelona, Didier Drogba, Victor Valdez, Anders Frisk, Maxi Lopez. He's forgiven Newcastle for the worst three years of his life. He's forgiven those who kind of, in a football sense, were abusive to him as a kid at Blackburn, a novice, dobe, over to make his way in the big world. He's thrilled us. He's thrilled us for Spain, Blackburn, Fulham. The amount of affection he's got for Craven Cottage will startle you. But we talk through episodes of great fun, drama, confusion. Brian Kerr comes up a lot, and so he should. Damien Duff is a gent, really nice man, but talks brilliantly about football. Hope you love this next hour and a bit as much as we did making it tougher. Go on yourself, son. Damon Duff, we're in a hallowed place where you have made many worship... Lansdowne Road. Must I call it Aviva or what's the political... I think it's called Aviva now, but we still, the old schoolers, will call it Lansdowne, I so guess. Let's, let's say the ground is Lansdowne Road, but thanks to the sponsors, it's the Aviva, where you've made many people worship your skills and made many people happy. Anybody who listens to the big interview knows that, you know, I get quite excitable about talking to talented footballers, so thank you. The first thing I want to do is to say Mario Melchuk to you, possibly one of the teammates that you spent least time with in your career. But when he was at Chelsea, he told me an anecdote, because we had a mutual friend, and he used to live in some mad boutique apartment, but it was like one of these modern ones down by Chelsea Harbour with quite skinny corridors. And because he'd grown up at Ajax, he would welcome Edgar Davids over every now and again to come and watch whatever. And the first thing they would do, according to Mario anyway, Mario, please God, make this not a lie and make it true, is that they'd get a big bunch of rolled up socks for a pretend football get their shoes off, go in the corridor and play one-on-one against each other just to see who could flick and trick and whatever in homage to Dutch street football skills. You'd have fit in that school of, I'm going to make the ball mine, I'm going to do things with the ball, I'm going to have fun, I'm going to be fearless. You didn't learn your skills in a plush Chelsea apartment in a corridor. Tell me how you learned your skills and when you knew that the ball was your friend and, and, and 
How did you develop that? Uh, for me, it was just, I guess, repetition, errors, practice, really. Like everyone, there's big talking points in Ireland now that there's not players coming through and it's down to coaching and what have you. But I got to Blackburn Rovers, who were then league champions at the time when I was 16. And not because of coaching or anyone teaching me anything. It was literally, like you just said there, just kicking the ball on the street against the wall, not even with people. Said I'd be a, probably a Billy No mate even sometimes. Just, but listen, every day, just one hour, two hour, three hours, just repetition, dribbling the ball around the streets. It sounds probably incredibly boring, but I wouldn't change for anything. Um, like you said, I think your love of the game, I think I can match it. I'm just so passionate about it. I just love kicking football as, and as far back as I can remember as, as soon as I could walk. And nothing's changed now. I'm recently retired two, three months, but... For instance, last week I uh, I felt a bit of a weirdo doing it. I went down to the, the local Astro Park for a little five-a-side, but I went and I booked it on my own. Just bored one morning and just went to the Astro pitch and just had a kick about on my own. And that's 36, but it's still trying to improve my right foot. And I don't know what trying to improve for. I'm obviously <laughs> retired, but uh, just love of the game, just pure love. And that need to... I've asked people in interviews across my life, to, you know, now that you're not a player, do you need to be near a ball? Something like that. Because they needed maybe the competition, or they loved the wages, or they loved lifting trophies. But some of them were like, I, I need to be on the ball every now and every couple of days. Uh, yeah, well, our mutual friend, uh, Mendieta, I was obviously with him last week, and I said, do you not just miss kicking the football every day? And he goes, well, maybe at the start, but as time goes by, he's not too bad with it now. But I said, I'm obviously recently retired, and I just need to be kicking a ball and I said it probably doesn't sound very exciting to people but yeah I'll go out the back garden kick the ball against the wall for 10 minutes just get a little my dose of it and then probably back into the kids go back to that ball as later photos will show I'm significantly older than you <laughs> and uh, it's not bad life it's only age that makes me look so bad I mean apart from having a little plastic balls or something one I can remember there were leather footballs in them day so you had to ask for it for your Christmas or save up but the smell of a, of a well-worn leather, wet leather football is just like, it's pure sex. Who gave you your first, well, not your first ball, but the ball you'd have grown up with, who gave you it, what type was it? Was it expensive? Did you have to save yeah, it? No, you nick it? Because we nicked a few footballs. Yeah, no, I'd always be a, a good boy like that. Well-disciplined, I guess, off me man and dad, but that's fucking anything and everything. Uh, plastic balls, you know, the ones you'd probably get down in Spar that go everywhere, yeah. <laughs> Probably why my shooting was like that <laughs> later on in life. But uh, so I'd be with Shamrock Rovers now, the under 15s, and I see them come up with a new pair of boots, even I'll go out and I was like, enjoy that. Because like, I remember they were the best days of your life. You get a new pair of boots off your dad, and they're laughing at me like of two heads or four eyes or whatever. But I said, a new boots or a new ball or a new jersey, just it's what makes it. It should mean something, shouldn't it? Back then it did. I said, I, I think just kids are different now. They just maybe take things for granted. I don't know whether as many kids love it as much as, as we do. Hence, maybe there's not many coming through like there used to be. I don't know. But yeah, it's just I said an addiction. And yeah, it meant so much. It's a theme that's come up across all the avenues. But I was lucky enough to get a sit down with Gerard Piquet on Monday. I asked him about his first pitch. And he said, well, this is the playground is where I first began to really enjoy football. But the pitch where I then began to regularly as a youngster play 11-a-side football as a kid was brutal, he said. Really hard, baked mud and you tear your knees off. He's younger again than you, not, not dramatically, but younger again, but even that generation of really gifted Spanish footballers, Xavi, Iniesta, Messi, Piquet, Cesc, 
they were learning on the type of pitches where you had to improve your technical skills in order not to lose the majority of the skin you've yeah. been gifted with and you peel your jeans yeah. off. So if you're playing in the park or the school or the, or the road or whatever, did you play against people? Was that avoiding being battered onto cobblestones or whatever? Is that any part of your makeup as a kid, but learning to do things cleverly so you don't hurt yourself? Uh, definitely, yes. You can tell, yeah, it's obviously nice now having amazing facilities and what have you, but I didn't have them. I said I was on the road and dribbling through all sorts of bottles and whatever to be. Um, for me, it's not rocket science. You go back through, I guess, my generation of footballer that was coming through, uh, Robbie Keane, he'll have done the same. Shay Given, Richie Dunn, they just spent all their time on the streets. And I tell the kids now, the lads I had to be coaching down at 15s, like, it isn't rocket science. I said, if they're coming up, if the, a lot of them want to be professional footballers, they come up on a Tuesday and a Thursday, they have a game on a Saturday, but I did be trying to tell them and make them understand that they need to do more than just two nights and maybe they might get half an hour, an hour on a Saturday. They need to be at it every day for two, three hours. That's what I did, that's what Robbie did, that's what Roy Keane will have done, Liam Brady, go back through the years, Johnny Giles, that's, it's not rocket science. What confuses me is that, you know, whenever I go home to Scotland now from Spain, I've been away a long, long time, mm. uh, because of London then Spain now, it's, been, it's like there's been a nuclear holocaust. You know, there's nobody out in the parks, there's nobody yeah. out in the schools. Well, that's the thing, yeah. That's and and you're like, yeah. you know, I mean, it's seriously confusing. Yeah. And then somebody will say to you, well, maybe it's because there weren't big TVs or computers or whatever. All right, that's fine. Okay, maybe that's a temptation. But the thing that you and I share and that, that I'm glad you said was this love of the ball, this need to be on the ball. You can have your computer or your TV or your you know, girlfriend at a young age or whatever, even if you're trying to nick a bottle of cider out of your dad's cabinet, whatever. If you love the ball... That need to be on the ball can't have changed across the generations. I guess, I don't know, in a, in a weird type of way, I'm probably lucky because I didn't have them distractions of Playstations yeah, yeah. and phones, so I kind of never know whether maybe it might have been distractions to me and I might love Facebook more than the ball because I think that's the way it's gone nowadays. It's a different generation, the techie generation, call it what you want. Like, there's 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds going around with mobiles yeah. and mobiles are a distraction. Like, if I'm at home with the two kids and you should be playing with them, you'll find yeah. yourself in your mobile for 10 minutes. So they are a distraction. Playstations, they're amazing. Like said, kids, they want to emulate Messi and all, but they think they can do it playing the PlayStation. They actually hmm. need to be out in the road doing it, you know? Doing what he did. Yeah. I don't know if I should call it cheating. Maybe it's professionalism, preparing for an interview. Okay. But I spoke to Tim Sherwood this morning. And he used to um, clean his boots. <laughs> he made my life hell. You see, the reason I sort of said this in this way is that I wondered if the two of you would have different uh, memories all that time. Okay. He said, uh, apart from David's evident ability, he felt that there was a stage when you were homesick and your folks came over and Kenny Douglas told him to go and have a long chat with your parents about, listen, this guy's a gem, he has to stay. What Tim remembered was, he said, apart from his ability, the fact that he was an absolutely fantastic kid, really nice, well brought up, good background, good family, made it all worthwhile. And he said in almost every training session, he got lumps kicked out of him. I can't actually use the phrase that he used about it. And he made it sound like, irrespectively, that kid's life was hell. And he said, he'd go past you. He definitely made me look stupid in training quite a lot. He'd get a kick and he'd be right back up again. He said, bit homesick, slightly timid then, but hard as nails, he said, hard as nails. We all knew that if we let him get the ball, he'd make a fool out of us. You're 16, it's Blackburn, you're away from home. How did you cope with that and what's it like and what, what did it do for you retrospectively looking back? Probably when people hear hard as nails, they picture, I guess, people uh, 
going around kicking people and what have you, but I guess what Tim means about me, yeah, I wouldn't say boo to a goose. I probably didn't speak for the first year or two there, but nothing was going to stop me. Uh, I said, Tim, yeah, jokingly, did make my life hell. I used to clean his boots for two years, and if he got polish on his hands when he was putting on in the morning, he'd just call me in in front of the whole club, really, and just abuse me in the canteen, what have you. But it's just character building. That's what football is. Like, nowadays, he'd probably get done for bullying for that. Whereas I, I was probably a bit soft, whatever, but I still wouldn't change it. There'd have been a time then when you'd have prayed to God for a big boulder to fall on his head so you could have a decent quiet day or two, I'm sure. Yeah, I know, listen, he made my life hell, but it was always with a, a smile and a, a grin, you know. It, and the fact that, listen, he was the, the captain of the Premiership winning team and he knew my name and he was always on at me. To me, in a way, kind of made me think that he thought something of me. Yeah, nowadays he'd probably get done for bullying. Uh, yeah, so it's even Billy McKinley, I guess you know him well. I know, like, I know Billy, I... You think Tim was bad? Strong uh, character. He's a strong character, and I later <laughs> obviously had him at Fulham, but he was the same. Literally, just get abused every day. We all would, not just me. I said I wouldn't change it. Yeah, Kenny, King Kenny, God, call him what you want. It was a family club, amazing club. It's it's sad to see where they are now. Oh yeah. Did you initially live on a residence in a training ground? Yeah, we lived at the training ground, yeah, thought... and it was only a, a year later I got homesick and I wanted to go home, and to be fair to Kenny and uh, Tony Parks, uh, Ray Harf, they wouldn't let me go home. Yeah. I was like, but I need to go home, I need <laughs> to go home to my mum and dad, but they thought if I went home I'd never come back. Amazing by them, they brought my uh, mum and dad over for a week, and you know what kids are like with their mum and dads, after a day or two it was like, oh, will you get out of there, you're doing me head in, go back home to Ireland, and didn't look back after that, and I think I made my debut soon after and you know, said I never looked back. It's, it was a strong gesture of faith by them because, you know, if you've got a youngster, um, it seems to me that there's always another kid coming through in football and, and I know many lazy clubs that have gone, well, if he's not... That's what I meant when we were talking earlier about short-sighted football. They're like, well, if he's homesick, well, it's not the right stuff, whereas they've gone, no, no, we're going to work at this. And yeah. that's certainly what Tim got through to me. He said that Kenny took him aside and said, work it, work, work. Mm help talk to the parents, spend time with them, see if that will trickle down and whatever. And, and you talk about abuse and, you know, it, it made my jaw drop because I was living and working in, in English football at a time when the class of 92 at Manchester United were coming through and were quite dominant. And it was only retrospectively when I read Gary Neville's book, Red, which is very, very good. Yeah. And there was the stuff about people being put in tumble dryers and, and burned oh, like soaked. Crazy up. stuff. For like I mean, I wouldn't consider myself soft and... I'd have been very sort of chippy about that and it might have broken me and I might have gone over oh, whatever, but that's quite yeah. brutal. I like, yeah, even my friend that was on to him earlier, uh, he actually never made a Kieran Ryan, but he lives just down the road from me now in Ireland and we're married to sisters and like, I remember they were called court cases and most of the time you're, you were found guilty and like the stuff that used to happen to him, like it always seemed to be him for some reason, I don't know, but like, he had to get in like, you know, ice baths with no clothes on and they'd pour cups of urine in on top of them. And I said, now you'd, I don't know, get arrested. Be so you'd be something, yeah. You'd have to get into a sauna for 40 minutes with all his clothes. That's <laughs> mad stuff, but I just look at his character building. But I said, now it's, I think generations are there just a bit softer now, I don't know. Well, we've got, the, just by fluke, I don't know the guy that was invited to a seminar last September by Aspire, this guitar, sports academy. And Thomas Tuchel, a new Dortmund coach, was there. I'd never met him before, but he spoke good English. And he made a brilliant presentation, so I made a point the next day of just getting ten minutes with him. And he'd, his theme was that he's got where he is to 
follow Klopp at Dortmund because of his brilliant youth team coaching and um, he's infamous for that and at the time he said to his trajectory was good at the clubs I think it was Stuttgart and Mainz that he argued for these talented kids give them a good bus give them proper kit get the sponsors on to the kids and make sure that they've got the perfect we, I want them to study the opposition the way that they, never do that now he said spoiled yeah players come through with ability about the ability to solve problems on the pitch mm. they're soft he said and this is him aged I don't know what age he is maybe he's still young he's maybe late 30s early 40s mm. he's like if I would go back now he said I would make sure the bus didn't work properly there was no air conditioning yeah. in the dressing room I made them wash their own kit yeah. so maybe the balance between sauna for 40 minutes yeah. and, and five star treatment somewhere in the middle where you ask kids with talent to develop and to train and to work but you test them as well with, whether it's Personal experiences yeah. or football experiences or patience or... Well, yeah, like, so we do sessions, or double sessions, whatever, but then we'd have all our jobs to do. Like, we lived at the training ground and Alan Irvine, obviously, like, again, Kenny's a god to me in football terms, but Alan Irvine would be as well, amazing coach. Talented, eh? Talented yeah. uh, winger, so he obviously took me under his wing, but he was, he was my youth team manager. And yeah, we'd be going to games like a little high ace fan and Alan Irvine, who's now Premier League manager, obviously ex, but uh, he'd be <laughs> driving us, and I mean a proper heap of a van. Yeah, jobs after training every day. Like Kenny Douglas used to come in and make sure I, I've done my, my job properly. Like a bit big communal showers, they can be big places. I'd have to dry all the walls, the floor with towels. Like it could take up to an hour. He'd come in, again, character building, and he'd probably have a shower and just laugh at me. Yeah. So I'd have to start all over again. Yeah, it's gone too much the other way now, and mostly money. Like I just think the money's disgusting. Yeah. You've got lads that have played probably one Premier League game, they're on 40 grand a week, two million a year. Like It's just madness. And I'd ask before we actually, but not you and me, but before we generally attack those kids for what they then do, I'd be honest and say, if you put me in that position at age 17 and you let this, somebody said, listen, you're very talented, I'm going to sign you, you know, you're part of our club and here's a million a year. You know, I'd be screwed. I would not have been able to handle it. Can you handle it now? There's no doubt about <laughs> Straight that. Straight down the pole. So what can we ask of the, and the rest? What can we ask of kids if we're going to do that to them? Is it, it's, it's the stroppy, arrogant, lazy, couldn't give a toss about the fans, kid who's in the wrong. Yeah, no. <laughs> Kids are telling that kind of attention and money and free time to do what they want with it. What's going to happen? It's the football industry that's, that's, yeah. that's wrong, yeah. not the kids who go off the, yeah. the rails, I think. Oh, no, I totally agree. First, there's no need to give them the money, but I guess if you don't give them, they'll just go somewhere else and get it elsewhere. Like when they're offered this money, yeah, it's not right, but they're going to snap your hand off. I don't know. I know you said you would have changed, it would have affected you, but I think a lot starts at home as well. Like my mum and dad, my brothers and sisters, my friends. Like I've been fortunate to have earned an awful lot of money in, in my career, but like people say, I've probably changed. But I'm still the 16 year old that went away to Blackburn, never went to my head, was never bothered by it. I think it's common knowledge around Ireland that my mum has all my accounts and credit card. I'm still on pocket money. Mm -hmm. So. I think a lot starts at home as well, the way you're brought up. That's wisdom. I 100% admire that. All I'm saying is, number one, you, you're a smart, better man than me. And, and I'm just saying, if I was now a 16, 17-year-old, not the Damien Duff who's been forced to work and clean boots and clean shells, and get, if, it, if I was a talented footballer at 17 with a million bucks a year, nobody because nobody does that anymore in yeah. clubs, yeah. they're like, they're kind of almost wary of the talented kids. Yeah. Then I would have gone off the rails. I think yeah. back in your day, if I was given a big salary, but told... 
duties, yeah. work, obligation, I'd have stayed on the right path. Because yeah. that's the person I've yeah. turned into. Well, I was lucky as well, the people I was surrounded by, I had Kenny DeGleish, Alan yeah. Irvine, Ray Harford, like, spoiled, lucky. Like, if the clubs are going to give the kids this money, I think they have a duty as well to get on them, to be on their back, which, I don't know, maybe they don't get, I don't know. The Blackburn experience goes well from one Scottish legend to another, soonest. Yeah. A game I watched that I'm interested to ask about in that, you know, I don't want to be mean, but I certainly wouldn't be the world's greatest admirer of Glenn Hoddle as a person. It's my own personal view. And I've never been a bigger Blackburn fan than the day you got to the final um, against them. I feel you're kind of viewed as slight underdogs. Is that fair? And and it was kind of an expectation that Spurs are back. They've got God in charge. It's perfect harmony. It's all... And so he was still, even then, regarded as maybe a manager that, you know, a Marmite person, Marmite manager. We've got great regard for him. He did a brilliant interview with us. I like him a lot. I think he's a very different person than he is regarded because of some of his antics as a footballer. What was it like working with him? What was that, the build-up to that final? What what were the memories of that? Yeah, I remember it was like uh, Glenn Hoddle Gods. That's what he's called down there, isn't it? And I guess I believed it as well. I was like, oh, Spurs, their name's written on the cup because so much was made of them going back there. But, uh, oh, listen, Graeme Soons for me. I remember there was a lot of stories that he was getting rid of all the Irish Catholics out of the team, which was nonsense. Yeah. I think he did it at Liverpool as well. But, like, he used to have fun with me the whole time. I think he split up from his first wife, didn't he? And his second wife is a Catholic, isn't she? And, like, he was amazing with me. He really kind of probably kicked me on in my career. Yeah, I, I, listen, I loved working with him. He used to join in, he was still a player. I love listening to him now. I, uh, I can't speak highly enough of him. He's a real football man for me, and I think as well, there's post-football, there's this culture of, I better not say what I feel about what I've just seen on TV, because in the future, that person might be useful to yeah. Mike, and he just says it exactly as yeah. it is, as he sees it. He's as accurate and fearless yeah. as a pundit as he was as a footballer. Yeah, well, and he was a special footballer too. Right? Yeah, it was amazing. And obviously, there's not many Rangers fans in Ireland. But um, yeah, like I'm obviously recently retired and trying to figure out what I want to do, whether it be coaching. And I always hated punditry and hate pundits, maybe because they were giving me stick or whatever. <laughs> but uh, I tried it last week on RTE here for a Champions League game. Oh, seriously? Obviously, before the producers, like, who do you admire? Who's your number one man? And straight away, it's Suey. And like you said, he pulls no punches. Yeah. You'll happily get into an argument on TV. And just says how it is, and I can't speak highly enough of him. How was the training thing? Because one of the famous things about Fergie was who maybe came to fame at my club, Aberdeen, and, and then at United employed a series of coaches so that increasingly, largely throughout his career, Fergie wouldn't train. He would watch, he would observe, he would he'd actually hand a lot of authority, devolve a lot of authority to people who are exquisite coaches. Because the idea of a coach and a manager, they must blend, but they're also separate, they're parallel. Mm. What was Graham like as a, as a leader at Blackburn? Was he, was he the coach? Was he the manager? Who worked for him in those days? Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd go with manager, yeah. I guess we probably wouldn't have done an awful lot of coaching. He's probably no. from the old school Liverpool way. He's probably like King Kenny was, just warm up, little boxes, a bit of fun and a fiver side. That's the way I remember it anyway, which is what all footballers love. <laughs> yeah, you do need... Boxes being... Let's, let's define that because... I think it's the same phrase as Michael Carrick used and, and Peter Beardsley used, what was it, the sweat box, where in a little Wolves End Boys Club, I think, he played in a really tight area with too many bodies in it and it was all about yeah, yeah. touch. And yeah, yeah, tell yeah. us about boxes. Yeah, it's, it's 
it's just a perfect session for football. It's just short, sharp, loads of touches on the ball and just brilliant for improving your touch, everything. What does it look like, a box and that? Oh, like, it depends on numbers. You can have uh, 5v5 or you could overload it, do 6v4s, you could have floaters. You can, it can be anything you want it In to be. In an area, say, by maybe, oh, I don't know what... 10 metres by 20? Or? You could have yeah, 20 by 20. It just depends on numbers, really. But I always found, and I guess any footballer, that the, the smaller the boxes, the smaller the numbers, the more enjoyable. Obviously harder, but you, you just get so many touches on the ball. And then we used to do a lot of that with him, and then just into five-a-side, he'd always join in and play right back. And I remember him smashing a few people. I think he smashed Yorkie a couple of times. They had a couple of run-ins. Dwight York, Cowley. This is three years after... York and Cole have won the treble because yeah. we're talking about approximately yeah. 2002, yeah. I think. Yeah. And 99, they won the yeah. treble for United. And, and how was your relationship with them in terms of supply? And uh, We had a, actually a, a good coach now that I remember as well. Dean Saunders came in, like one of the funniest men in football, just incredible. But uh, just one-on-one work with him and obviously he was a striker and just trying to tell me what York and Cole would want. But the wavelength they were on was incredible. Like their legs was probably gone a bit and I think they were only 30, 31 were they but uh, yeah the little overs step overs just on a different planet so yeah it was amazing playing with them obviously not even the twilight of the career probably just before but mm. yeah it's amazing signs for Blackburn Did, back then Does the final bring any memories for you at all? Or is it a blur? Because the Spurs like, final? Yeah I remember the roof was closed I think I played every two or three times I've played there at Millennium Stadium the roof was closed it's just like playing in a sauna you can't breathe in it it's so much harder to play in I remember I nearly scored Neil Sullivan, pulled off a, a great save. I've had a couple of chances in cup finals now, the League Cup finals. I never managed to put one away. It always kind of grates at me. Never had the pleasure of playing an FA Cup final. But uh, I think that was February time. We were hovering the, around the bottom of the league and we just kicked on after that. Me personally as well. Yeah, we, the, the I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, obviously. We obviously won the final. I remember being drunk for... One or two days after that, and yeah, just it was lift off then, and we rocketed up the league. But was that your first big trophy lift? Yeah, or? yeah. But all right, then in that case, probably I know the answer because professionals define winning differently than punters, your romantic punters yeah. like me do. But I've always imagined, I think the first time that I ever was even become vaguely aware of you is because I've always enjoyed the idea of trying to follow young talents and see. One, have I got any ability to see them, to spot them? Yeah. You name it, blind not to spot your talent in 97. But then do they go on and so on? So on. What was the experience of going to Malaysia with Brian Kerr's Ireland in the FIFA Youth Cup, World Cup, under 20 it was called, it keeps changing yeah. his name, and then Nigeria? Because you went to two editions in a row, finished third in Malaysia, yeah. and then you got knocked out in penalties, penalties to Nigeria. Yeah. I'm really interested in the experience of a still relatively young man going to these vastly different strange countries. Malaysia was probably where I first, I guess, started to believe that I could mix it with the big boys. Um, I remember the semi-final, played Argentina, lost 1-0, but in their starting 11, they had Cambiasso, Amar, Raquel May. Like, it's just ridiculous, but like, amazing, amazing time in their lives. And if you look at maybe the kids coming through now, like, we don't even qualify for European Championships or World Cups or whatever. Like, back then, we came third in the world, which is just incredible uh, then within 18 months after that we won the European Championships at under 16 under 18 level I said we're way way away from that now for whatever reasons we were also talking about culture changes and just the love of the game now I think it's changed from back then but yeah 97 just 
it's probably the first time, like I said, I believed. I came back and obviously people started looking at me and Roy Hodgson just took me straight up to the first team, trained with them every day and, and put me straight in. Obviously on the back of them performances. It was being in Malaysia and the long distance flight and the hotels and the temperature and the food. And I ask this because I know that by Nigeria, which is a tournament which you do well, but as a nation, you don't finish as high up the ranks as third. Some of the Spaniards who have influenced my career in Spain went on to win it. Marchena, Ica, Xavi, Gabri, who's now the coach of the Barcelona youth team in the Europa, in the Champions League for kids. They, you know, they had the, the gunplay outside the hotel, there's people mm. shooting outside the hotel. There's rats and cockroaches. They were booked into an hotel, and I've read the FIFA report now. This Nigeria? This Nigeria. Yeah. The hotel accommodation and food was up to Nigeria's hospitable standards and all that, and I've talked to them. Yeah. They were booked in a hotel where there was only enough beds for two to a bed. Yeah. Charlie got ill, they couldn't eat, they all wanted to go home, there was a mutiny. Yeah. The coach of that winning Spain team said to them, you know I've stayed here at a time when my father's died at home and I've stayed on and you want to go home? And they went, okay, we'll stay, and they stayed and they, they won. And blah, blah. And I mean, I'm actually interested in the living conditions, what it was like, was it strange, was it easy? Was it five-star swimming pools? What was it like? Uh, no, it was uh, just pure football trip, like place. It was probably the worst, most horrendous place I've been to. Nigeria, it, not... Nigeria, yeah. yeah. It was tough. Uh, like, we in the hotel, yeah, it was, it was nice enough. Um, that didn't really bother us. We were kids, we didn't know any different. We were just there to play football. But I remember it was just living on soup, soup and bread for uh, however long we were there, three, four weeks. Armed guards going with us everywhere. I remember the first couple of days we were there, it was 30, 40 degrees, and we'd throw loads of bottles of water out to the kids out of the bus. And I remember like adults coming over and actually kicking the living daylights out of the kids to get the water, and then obviously we feel awful. So what but that, were you then? I mean, you're a human being, not just a footballer. That's why I'm interested, because in the media, we're guilty of not looking at the human side of football. And I've always thought that it is unfair to put young kids into that position mm. whereby, like, you know, the, the, the Spain players, some of them could have got seriously mm. ill. And it's, it was a very dangerous country. Mm. I'm not saying you, you keep all your tournaments in the A-list European countries, that would be rubbish. But you know, I think it genuinely was an experience which must have scarred you or changed you <coughs> or educated you. And probably it was the first time you did that in your life, I guess. Yeah, it was definitely an eye-opener. I remember we couldn't even travel between cities at night time because the roads were so dangerous. Looking back now, yeah, like when we meet up with the lads, Robbie, Steve McPhail, Richie Dunn, we were all there, like probably laugh about it. But yeah, at the time, yeah, massive eye-opener. It was so corrupt. Uh, like that was a World Cup tournament and it was just horrible, some of the things to see, you know. Like even I think it might be a, a small detail to some people. I remember we, we drew Nigeria in the second round of the quarters or something. The kickoff was changed to midday in Lagos and it was like 40 degrees and like just... 11 paddies going out in the pitch trying to mix it with these boys and it was... Minor disadvantage for you? Yeah, like it was just horrendous. <laughs> That's worse than um, your 40 minutes yeah, in the zone with the yeah. clothes on. But I, I remember that night then, obviously there was no mobiles, no phones uh, in the rooms or in the hotel back in the day and I remember being distraught. We were going to a function, we'd obviously got knocked out that day against Nigeria and I was in the lobby and all the lads are piling onto the bus and I'm distraught in tears in the lobby on the phone to my mum and dad telling them sorry. Maybe it was because I was spoiled or lucky and from 97 Malaysia come third in the world and I was expecting to go do that again. And I just felt like I let people down, you know, because Brian, that's the one thing, the passion he brought, it was there obviously, but he could always get an extra 10, 20% out of us about being a proud Irishman and 
how your family and friends are back home thinking of you now. Yeah. Like, we used to be in tears, literally going out onto the pitch. Side issue, but, like, how Brian Kerr isn't involved in, in underage football in Ireland is, is a disgrace. Well, we, we like to be... You know, one of the reasons that the, the boys suggested doing this is that we feel that there are hundreds of thousands of people who feel like you and I do about this. So we like to interact with the people who listen and who, who take the time to communicate with us. And Brendan Lynch, we're only going to give you two questions, but Brendan did say, what's the plan for the future now you're retired? And you, you've touched on a little bit maybe of analysis on TV, which would be great. Please say you're going to coaching, but will you please get Brian Kerr back involved in the game in Ireland? And I take your point, it's, it, there's an equivalent because the current people, the last two generations of board at Barcelona, can't stand the sight or the sound of Johan Cruyff. Brian Kerr would be about the same. If you look at everything you said before about it isn't just generational change. That era when you would consistently perform, outperform the size mm. and demography of, of your island in world and European tournaments, Brian Kerr was the linchpin of that, wasn't he? Yeah. I have to be careful what I kind of say now. No, you know, don't. But, but Tell like, it. like uh, talking myself and yourself earlier about love of the game, like Brian Kerr's got that. I just, yeah, I just can't fathom how he is not involved in Irish football. He's on Satanta TV and he does a bit of radio. Mm-hmm. You name any footballer in the world, he'll give you, he'll tell you about them now. His knowledge of the game is second to none. His passion, if you go ask Robbie or any of the lads that, that were with him, it's obviously because then he went to the, the senior team and he I was. didn't do so badly in my view. No, no, listen, it was us. We were, I think he got us to 12th or something in the world, which is our best ever. Yeah. It wasn't for two last-minute goals, I think, against Israel home and away, yeah. which has nothing to do with him. We would have won the group. And I remember, I think, John Delaney came in as chief exec, just got him out straight away, wanted his own man, Stan, and he hasn't worked for the FAI since. Why don't we do two questions in a row? Because I'm going to go to a very painful subject on which we might disagree after this. I'm not trying to soften you up, but Norman Burns asked a question here. A great and 100% true anecdote, Damien attended De La Salle College in Dublin, which at that stage was predominantly a rugby school. Yeah. And a mate of mine, Tom Lee, was the main rugby coach. At one yeah. point in his early teens, Damien was playing rugby very well for the school and soccer very, very well. Like a lot of young lads of his age, he was unsure about which sport he should pursue longer term, so he turned to Tom Lee for advice. And Leo's famous response about which he still gets endless stick, was you should definitely stick with rugby because you've no chance of making it as a soccer player. I'm sure Damien would at least remember the conversation, if not the specifics of the answer. Is any of this true? Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I, a, I started playing for football clubs when I was at under 10, so I'd done 10, 11, 12, and I took a year out under 13 to play rugby for De La Salle College. And yeah, I was pretty good, if I do say so myself. But listen, I Which just, position? Fullback. It's a stupid question. Could have been out half, I think. Maybe yeah, I, think. I just yeah. fancy myself just yeah, being the man, kicking and dodging and whatever. But yeah, listen, I just love football too much and everyone was starting to, you know, get a bit bigger than me and stronger and I didn't really like the, the rough and tumble bit of it. Tom, yeah, I think he's still there. Probably went down the football route to prove him wrong. I remember my career guidance teacher... He was a manager in the Irish League here. Dermot Keeley, would you remember him? I, I don't. He played for Shamrock Rovers, what have you. So my parents obviously had to go in and I obviously fill in a form, what do you want to be? And everyone's putting, you know, lawyers, solicitors. I obviously put a footballer. And he goes, he's mad. He has no chance of, <laughs> he has no chance of making it over there. It's things like that when people give me negative always spurred me on, to be fair. I shouldn't always be back-quoting our, our podcast, but they've been so much fun. We, 
A couple of weeks ago, we spent time with Frank McAvaney. I don't know how well you remember Frank, but good striker. Yeah, yeah. Nearly won the title at West Ham. Suffering with flu at the time, and he told us a story about how Bertie Old, his, you know, one of his legends, because Bertie won the European Cup with Celtic in 1967 against Inter Milan, was a coach then. He saw Frank playing in a trial, and I think subbed him on, and <laughs> subbed him off again. He said, listen, son, you'll never make a footballer. To Frank McAvaney, and Frank said, just, as soon as I heard him say, I ducked my head under the bath, because it was post-game, and said, right, that's it, I'm going to make it. Dicker turned down the Beatles, so, you know, people get things wrong. Yeah, so yeah. neither Dermot nor Leo were going to hold responsible <laughs> for getting this one. You are Ireland's Beatle in I football terms. Yeah. No, I'm allowed to say that. You don't have to agree, but I'm allowed to say okay. that. Okay, with care. You signed for Chelsea and uh, along comes Mourinho and you turn up at the camp now. I just moved there and I needed my freelance revenue and uh, put the team that I was covering most out of the Champions League and it was quite dramatic and you were quite central. Can we talk about those two games? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the way I remember that game is Barcelona, still very fledgling, Rijkaard are completely outplayed and out-strategised as well. So I don't know what the manager had said to you beforehand, but the way the game tilts, for those who didn't see it or maybe are younger, is that I think Carvalho puts a lovely ball down the yeah. right channel for you. You're away. You show Van Bronckhorst not only clean heels, but all your clean washing and centre it. And Belletti puts... It's your I was claiming that goal. It's your goal. Yeah, yeah. I was there. It's the first time I've ever nipped yeah, you anything yeah, quicker than you. Yeah. But it was your yeah. goal, of course it was. And Belletti says that too. You're one nil up, and then somebody puts a quite a dangerous ball in from the wing. It was me, yeah. yeah for Drogba to send them off, yeah. yeah. For Drogba to flat out assault Victor Valdez. Now, <laughs> I'm only being provocative, and he gets sent off, and it's a big old row. And Jose Mourinho says at the end of the game, Frank Rackard went to the referee's room and whatever. How did you guys, as a team, as a group, build up to that game? What was it like approaching the camp now for the first time? First time, yeah. And the tactics and the strategy and the idea, and at 1-0 up, what was the feeling? You know, this is the boss. Tell me the whole... Bring me inside it. Epic. To be fair, oh, I can't remember. You know, it's our... you know it's going to a very good part two yeah, for you. Eh? Um, you know what it's going to end up. To be fair, uh, Mourinho wanted Barcelona, and we all thought, oh, he's fucking crazy. Like We were <laughs> flying back from, I think, Moscow. They were in a group. Maybe we just topped their group. And the lads were just having a bit of crack with him. Like, who do you want in, in the second round? And he goes, Barcelona. And we were like, are you for real? Like, and he goes, no, no, simple. We stopped them playing and they let us play. And it was as simple as that. I remember leading up to the game then. I think we lost in the FA Cup to Newcastle a couple of days beforehand. 1-0 maybe? Yeah. Uh, up there? Yeah. yeah. I had a knock. I remember him telling me I was playing, but I remember him playing a few mind games with the press, he named a totally different team. And he goes, I'm going to do this later. He pulled me aside. You are playing tomorrow, but I'm going to give them... I think he said Good Johnson was playing ahead of me. So when he did name the team on the TV, I started believing then. I thought, maybe his idea is playing. So then I thought, why are you I'm not playing. <laughs> so I kind of had to wait 24 hours for him to name the team. And yeah, lo and behold, I was in it. Yeah, for me, like every young child, you talk about teams in England, but to go and play in the new Camp like dreams come true stuff. And that was probably the start of the rivalry that I guess still goes on to... It's quite epic. It's, yeah, it's been, it's been it theatrical. On. It's been yeah. so... And it probably all started teams. that night with the sending off, the uh, Frisk, the dressing room stuff, which like we didn't even know what went on. We are just reading I, it in the... I'm not trying page. to drag you into that. Yeah, part yeah, of it, yeah. But if I look at it now, because like, you always hope, he genuinely hope, like, three, there's three journalists in this room or communicators in this room, he genuinely hope that you call things accurately. And the first booking, I think, you know, it's one of those, yeah, maybe, or whatever. One booking, it doesn't matter that much. Second booking, the ball, the, your point of view is more important than mine. But it looked to me as if 
the follow through meant that in most times, you're going to get a yellow for that. I mean, no, no, no. You wouldn't be the first to tell me I'm wrong, so don't be slow. Um, yeah, I remember. Was it two yellows, or did he give him a straight two red? Yellows, two yeah. yellows. Yeah. Oh, listen. Yeah, I'm obviously biased, but I remember back in the day. Yeah, we were like, how can you send them off? And to be fair, like I call it the dark arts of the game. Maybe other players don't know it so well, but. It was a Valdez in goal. Yeah, it was, yeah. And he's rolling around like he was being shot. Like, I think you have to do it nowadays. If, like, I see Mourinho, if a player didn't do that, he'd have a goal them then. That's the way the game's just, gone. It's just a small detail. Yeah, be, be wise, be street wise. Yeah, he's probably caught him a little bit, but that Victor Valdez has been... How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Streetwise. You look back at it and it's still quite a flawed bus on a team. They haven't reached maturity. They haven't fiddled around with certain parts that need to. Maxi Lopez changes the game. That tells you yeah. something. Because Maxi yeah, yeah. was never really that much of a football. Yeah. And that was the end of it. Yeah. And so there's a bit of bad blood and the first we hear of the Frisk thing is the media coming, yeah. we'll go downstairs and the press chief I think was Simon Greenberg at that said, he comes out, yeah. well, nobody from Chelsea will be talking, there's been an incident and we're in the half and off we go home. Oh, well, fair yeah. enough, that's okay then. And then comes, I don't know if it was a week later or two weeks later. So before we talk about goalkeepers again and Carvalho for the fourth goal, was that anger? Those first sort of 30 minutes, was it? Barcelona's ineptitude, was it better tactical planning by Mourinho? Because what was the adjective you'd reach for in that respect? A typhoon, a hurricane? You know, Barcelona were made for a chunk of time to look third division. Yeah, what was it, three goals in 15, 20 minutes, I think. Uh, I was just going back to what he said earlier. We stopped them playing, which 
we probably didn't stop Ronaldinho that night. It was an incredible performance. I remember that second goal, the toe bog. I've never Wait, seen it, it before. Before, but it's not just that. Part. The little well, shuffle, little... yeah, the little shuffle before. <laughs> that, oh, it's incredible, that, yeah. You'd never be sure. They're always showing it in Sky Sports, and listen, you can't help but watch that game when it's on. But yeah, it was just, we believed. What can I say? Yeah, Barcelona—they're a world-class team then, but they still weren't patching what they are now. No, no chance of that. Yeah, it was just us believing. Mourinho was big on transition the minute you win the ball and I think two or the three transitions go- please because this is a word that gets used yeah, a lot it's getting hammered but, now in but, football no, yeah. but I'm not saying it's happened some punters will know what it means visually but yeah. won't know what it means as, a, as yeah. a phrase so yeah it was probably the first time I heard it was off him and that was 10-12 years ago so yeah. yeah it's simple it's if you lose the ball it's transition from attack to defence yeah so running back quickly, recovery runs or sprints. And on the other hand, if you win the ball like we did in that game against Barcelona. Off Xavi. Xavi yeah, off Xavi. Nicked off in the yeah. middle of the... So it's transition from defence, you win the ball yeah. and exploding forwards quick. So, so it means also, it's not just your pace, it's mentally. Everybody's got to be like yeah. on their guard. That yeah. If the ball's won, everybody's yeah. doing yeah. something, right? Yeah. So it's just having that switch, I guess. I said it's such a buzzword now in when you do I'm doing my coaching badges, like it gets absolutely slaughtered and I, then I kinda hate using it, but I guess it's the best phrase it and means that not, something. Yeah. It does yeah, actually yeah, yeah. practically mean something, yeah. which is you defend yeah. the phrase. Yeah. Then yeah. And, and that's why I wanted you to explain it, because I think that one of the things that Sky and I mean Sky yeah. has helped us in Britain and Ireland to do as punters is to talk about football a little yeah. bit more intelligently. Yeah. There's a lot of very good ex pro analysis. Yeah which reached a, a, a peak with Guy Neville and yeah. Jimmy Carragher, in, in my yeah. humble opinion. Oh, they're but it also means that some people around you know, the football communi- yeah. amateur football community yeah. will use the words because they've heard it and they know it's appropriate, but they might not know what it means. And I think yeah. it's useful to know what a word means. Yeah, well, that's when you do win the ball back. That's when teams are at their most vulnerable because they're not, I guess, in a defensive shape. Yeah. So the minute you win it, you're boom, you're gone. And like we steamrolled teams that year, you know, with just having that off to a tee, I guess. Like I could go through off the top of my head 30, 40 goals that I can remember, just win the ball back and go within four or five seconds. And yeah, he was probably the first. I said, I don't remember ever having that any, with any other coaches. Did he give you dossiers on your opponents? Yeah, every, uh, every game you'd, have, you'd go in on, say, the Thursday, the games on the Saturday, and there'd be a little, uh, little dossier on your, on your spot with, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight pages, a little paragraph on each player. And then just, just pictures of the movements that they make on, on the pitch and what have you. Just till I did that interest you, bore you, did, did you kind of go, yeah boss I've read it or, you know what? I'd never ask you but yeah I'd be a geek anyway so yeah I'd read it inside out and to be fair a lot, all the lads took it and we'd take it away and if you're in the hotel the night before you'd have a little read, it's just small details, attention to detail, uh, like I mentioned the lads at Rovers, probably don't have Shamrock Rovers that yeah. is here, yeah. and it's finance and time, they didn't really do it, but uh, yeah, everywhere I've gone and coaches have took it on board, I've always said that that's what Mourinho did, they ended up doing it at Melbourne City, I was there last year, knowing your opponents. If I've got it right in, in my mind right, you know, the Damien Duff goal is a 3-0 goal, and I think there's you know, a big transition from, I think it's Carvalho to Cole. Yeah, Cole. What a pass, eh? Yeah, wait, I don't and think I had to take a moment, touch. Uh, what Joe does, because Caballo comes powering through, I think maybe nips off some of yeah, his toes, yeah. and it's a volley pass. From, yeah, from oh, it's incredible, it. yeah. I think it was up around his hip, and he's just stroked it, like, beautiful, beautiful ball. I don't think I took a touch, to be fair. It was just so perfectly weighted. And I remember I probably didn't help proceedings <laughs> on the night. 
running over my mum and dad used to sit above the dugout. I was actually running over to them, but uh, when you look back, it looks like I'm trying to dig Roy Card out and, and the bench, and I think it kicked off a bit in the sideline. Take but I was that, actually, yeah, your mom, take that. Yeah, but I was actually just running over to my dad, you know? So, um, or at least that's the worst story will remain. No, nah, yeah, yeah. They were never there, were they? Ah, he was there, all right, yeah. You wouldn't miss that. You wouldn't miss that. Do we t- I mean, is it just a waste of breath to talk? Was, was it planned that Ricky Carvalho would block off Valdez and... Wait, wait, who took that corner? Me. It's so kind then. of your tie, isn't it? Between uh, the first goal and the sending off and the, you know, the, yeah, the 3-0 goal and then the corner for the... It was a kind of... Yeah, was, I remember the fourth goal was horrendous corner. I near enough hit the penalty spot and it was... JT didn't get his head and it was going outside the box. I remember the minute I hit it, I was like, I oh my God. I that because... OK, maybe you didn't need to, but JT's completely... He's on his... It's John Terry. Yeah. He's on his own, yeah. and it's a massive leap. It's a, yeah. it's a beautiful yeah. header, however yeah. you describe the yeah. corner. He made it a good ball. But uh, again, Ricky Carvalho with the goalkeeper, it's just the dark arts, just streetwise, giving him a little nudge. You're all right with that in general. I'm not talking about that instant. You're all right with that, the dark arts. Yeah, well, back in the day, it probably wouldn't have been, but it's just, uh, I guess, the education that I've had with Mourinho and what have you. Yeah, like when I'm coaching out of 15s or whatever and there's like young kids and I'm never telling the kid to dive, but like if no. someone clips their heels in the box and I'm careful the way I do say it to them, but yeah. like you have to go down and get your penalty. There's yeah. no rewards for trying to stay on your feet, you know, and you stumble. I've seen people miss goals because they've gone, no, yeah, I want this, and then, and then they fall. And then, yeah, and trying then to be too honest. You're going to get a lot of grief for yeah. that as well. Yeah. Honesty doesn't get you very far in football. I think you need to have that... Street wiseness, call it what you want, bordering on cheat. I don't know what you can even call it cheat. I just think it's clever. I think you can hone your instincts. He said, not playing with words deliberately, but I remember, albeit I'm not a fan of him, I'm self aware enough to know that almost every good footballer who's coached by Glenn Hoddle said it was a good experience yeah. and that England lost a, maybe a tournament winning yeah. manager. There's certainly somebody, and he told Michael Owen eh, very early on, so you're fast and you can finish, but. Run across the last defender. Hmm. But I think the rugby thing is run straight. Yeah. But in football, it's like once you're away, just make sure that you, as long as your yeah. angle for the finish is okay, yeah. get an effort. To cut them off, yeah. And then yeah. what happens? You know, the world stops yeah. in 1998 in Sinetian, I think, against yeah. Argentina, yeah. where he's run away and scored that brilliant goal, but he's also run away, got in front of the defender, yeah. and all the bush, then you go penalty. Yeah. And that, that, I think, is where the bridge between like honourable play and do it the right way and then dark arts maybe if, if you put yourself in a situation where somebody's going to do something then yeah. and you feel a touch then obviously yeah. you go down eh yeah it's good enough winning is winning leaving Chelsea was a mistake eh yeah but I'm just a stubborn Irish man nothing's ever changed really yeah I do look back and I was like just stay around and fight like you've always done for your place to make it I guess I don't know I remember when I left the day Jose just called me into the office he goes you know if you're fit and playing well you play my team every week I was just, yeah, whatever, good luck, I'm out here. And it was just really because of the, I think it was the last three months of the previous season, I was in and out of the team. And to be fair, I wasn't at my sharpest. I remember having a few problems, calf, Achilles, what have you. And uh, I wasn't even making the bench on some games on, on the run-in. And that hit me hard because I just loved playing football. <laughs> and, yeah, when I look back, I should have taken a step back and gone, yeah, get yourself right and get back in the team. But I was just so distraught. I listened to short career travelling away, going to the bridge, whatever, and just watching from the stands. That I didn't even look at Chelsea uh, winning trophies, at winning, or working with Jose Mourinho. I was just like, I need to go somewhere and play football. That's the way I looked at it, black and white. So, yeah, mistake. But then I look at 
no disrespect to him, like the likes of Mikel and what have you, like he's there 10 years, but I wouldn't say he's played an awful lot more games than me. I don't know, for being there 10 years, I'd rather go play and just enjoy. The, the wages and the salary and the, and the good life is a byproduct for you. It's good, it's healthy for your family, it's healthy for your future, but it is a byproduct to playing for you, isn't it? Yeah, like I went to Newcastle, I said, there's obviously an awful lot of money in the game. But I went, took a pay cut, just wanted to play. Like mm. I, I never get involved in negotiations with, uh, just let my dad and advisor or whatever go in and I just hang around, just wait to sign up. I wouldn't even ask how much I'm on. Like, mm. And I'm not bullshitting you there when I say it. That's fact. It's just love of the game. Was it a mistake? Yeah. I went there and, God, I had a horrendous three years of my life. I give them everything. Like The Geordies think I went for... A jolly up for money, for this, for that. I had a lot of injury problems when I did play. I never really got any rhythm. And my God, like you talk about Tim Sherrod, Billy McKinley abused me earlier. Like that is character building up there. That will make you or break you. Like 52,000 every fortnight. Just like I laugh about it now, but my God, just yeah, screaming how, oh, they used to hate me. <laughs> yeah. If you can look back with that type of clarity, you must be aware that he could have probably flipped a coin and it could have gone exactly the opposite way because everything about you, your composure, your love of the game, your skill, what you could do with a ball, if they'd taken to you, they'd have probably seceded from England, formed a kingdom and you'd be on the throne because you embody, as a person, a footballer, just about everything that they yearn for, which yeah. is kind of confusing yeah. Yeah. given that it was a shit experience. Well, it's not all the, the lads in the team, the local boys, Stephen Taylor, Stephen Harper, whatever, they used to tell them they, they love you or hate you, players up there. And yeah, I just didn't get off to a good start and they just made their mind up and me really sharpish. Like, I've no, I still would not change it for the world, leaving Chelsea and uh, going to Newcastle. But I want to go back to that because I wasn't taking you up for leaving. Uh, you'll be aware that Josie's emphasised this recently by saying that that side, you, and he names you, killer instinct. He said the Chelsea that he was sacked from, the Chelsea that he came back to, didn't kill games. And he said, you know, that's what we did, that's what Damien Duff did. He, and he talked about your attitude, he talked about your fearlessness. He talked about the fact that if you could get on a team and do a team and win. And that's him still talking about it all these years later. So all I meant was it was no way derogatory about the decision oh, no. to leave. I didn't know about that meeting, but when he said you'd be in my team, he meant it and he still feels that way. And I think that's a major, major... You can't put it in the bank, please. And I think maybe through your career that's not been the thing you've sought yeah. most, but it's pretty sincere. It's pretty serious praise from him. Uh, yeah, I said... For me, I could put you in a situation you don't like. No, no, no. I just said it, and then I've done yeah. it. Yeah, I listen for me. I like, fucking, I love the man. Like, yeah. In the end, I was said, listen, good luck. I'm out of here. But uh, listen, the best two years ever working. I'm just. Was it fun on a daily basis? Yeah, he's a funny guy for starters. But like coaching, training sessions, unbelievable. Like frightening. Improved everyone no end. Like it was more or less the same squad he inherited from Ranieri. I think he had a couple of additions, obviously Drogba, but Drogba struggled really for the first year. He, he wanted to go home, he yeah, did it. But he just turned us into winners just straight away. That arrogance, that confidence just rubbed off on everyone. And just, I said, steamrolled the league for a couple of years. And the thing, obviously, whether I want to go into coaching or managing, the fact him leaving Chelsea this year and looks like he's lost the dressing room, I just find that staggering. Just... There's no hope for any of us if, if he's losing a dressing room. We're on to an area where I, I, I need to be careful because uh, you know, I didn't play for him. If the people who play tell me it correctly, then maybe there's been a change in the man, a change in, in him. Yeah. That as phenomenal as he is, he's a human being. And I think in his attitude to playing and to life and to... And also the dark arts sometimes, if you, you know, if you wear the, the Lord of the Rings, if you wear the ring too long, it corrupts you. 
I think maybe some of those who encountered him when he came back to Stamford Bridge that second time found a change. Mm. So maybe we can put, or maybe I can put it down to the fact that it's not that you know something ridiculous has happened because Chelsea have lost a guy who's still the guy he was in 2004-5-6 is my interpretation. We all do that, we all change for better or worse and maybe, maybe it's going to give us all a treat where maybe he's in control of one half of Manchester next season and then Guardiola's in charge of the other half, which... Well, yeah, if I was a betting man, no doubt he has to end up there, especially after Guardiola's rival going to City. I said the only statement Man United can make is him, and anyone else is would be wrong for me. I said there's only one man for the job there, it's him. Your faith in it. And one of the things you said there, I wonder if it's a thing that Mourinho has to maybe work a little bit on, is that I think that Ranieri deserves a great deal of credit for the side Yeah. You know, you said it in a way which wasn't wrong, but Ranieri built a hell of a yeah, side. Yeah. Now, my admiration for Mourinho. I'd like to respect him more, I'll yeah. be frank, I've yeah. said this before. I'd like to respect him more. I actually actively would like to feel more respect for him because I can see why he should get that. But a discussion that he had with Abramovich, with Abramovich, because Abramovich became obsessed with Barcelona and obsessed with Ronaldinho mm. and he said, look, you know, when Josie came, I'll buy you Ronaldinho. I went, no, I don't want Ronaldinho. Mm. I want Drogba. Look at that bet. Yeah. Ronaldinho within a couple of years was burnt out and overweight yeah. and kind of has just puttered along since yeah. then, whereas Drogba went from, I don't want to be here, I want to be back yeah. in Marseille. I'm out, I'm like, oh, wins Abramovich, mm. that most extraordinary European Cup final. Uh, that, was, that was a decision of Mourinho's, which was exceptional, but I've always felt that Ranieri, I mean, Ranieri was the guy who... who well, he bought Robin, uh, like no one really remembers that. He bought Arjen Robin, he bought Peter Cech. Um, Ampard. Yeah. Me, good, like, yeah, he bought a lot of us, really. So the Czech deal was was, was done, was it, yeah. Was the done. Robin one was done. Like, listen, amazing, great guy. When I see them Leicester this year, ugh, well, I happy. find it staggering, just absolutely staggering. The one thing, like they obviously haven't got quality of City or Spurs and all. They just will be giving him two hundred percent because he's such a great guy and they just love him to bits, just like we did. We all knew he was going that year at the end of the season. But so it, it wasn't the Monte Carlo thing. It wasn't the Monaco night when. No, I think it's yeah. He was he was gone. He was a dead man walking. If it was any other manager, you probably have lads down in tools and what have you. But we just love to get uh, Ranieri so much that we just give him everything till the end. Is it easy to explain that now, Rick? Can you say what it is about him? I don't know. He just has such charm and charisma. He's quite eccentric, all... isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Like I don't even want to go into the smaller detail. What training and all? Like when Mourinho came in, training was just on a different planet. Right. Compared to what Higher we Higher level, intensity, Yeah, detail. everything, everything, everything. So whether Claudio would have won the league the way we were going with him, I doubt, I think he still needed yeah. Mourinho, definitely. But So Claudio had maybe something that you talked about with Brian Kerr, that, and, and Sui, yeah. that ability that somehow you click with your soldiers and they give you more. He definitely has that, but then like you have to ask questions. Like He's had big squads all over, Monaco, Inter, Valencia, Chelsea. He's never won the league, I don't think. Am I wrong? He, no, if, well, he's thank, won you, Copa thank, Del Rey. thank you for putting me on the spot, because I don't think did he, he win the Serie B with Juventus to take them up? I don't know. He took them up, whether he won the Serie B when they were demoted. No, no, I won't class that. Um, oh, well, any okay. of the big leagues, any of the big leagues. But considering no, the squads he, and he the won, clubs he's been at, he's never won he it. He won the Cup of Guys guy in that beautiful, yeah. beautiful game against Atletico Madrid, and... Again, I don't know whether he won the second division in France with Monaco when they had to come up. But you're right. This would be his first title. Yeah. Would be. And I still can't. Be. I still can't see them. I don't know. I just oh, can't. Don't break my heart now. Tell you. I want to. I think it's the most amazing story ever. Like, let's break you that should down. go straight down to Hollywood and make a movie about it. But um, Where are the football things that you can't see? Him winning it? What's the... 
first and foremost quality of squad like I'm just going off that like surely but like yeah are we surprised like Arsenal have been like that for when did they last win it I don't know over 10 years ago was we'll, it we'll do a new an entirely new separate podcast where we'll have to give you a fee for your time where we break down how on earth Arsene Wenger is still in charge of that club when they keep falling over I've kind of gone off the beaten track a little bit and um, we can't stop here without Fulham because it's, it's Roy Hodgson again it's one of the friends I have is very very close friends with Pep Guardiola and he was telling him about one of the things because he's quite a quixotic guy Guardiola and he keeps mentioning to my pal about one of the things he really wants to do by coming over and coaching is, is go to grounds that breathe the history of English football like Craven Cottage so he's more pissed off than Michael Jackson was that Fulham have been relegated yeah. than you are because I was a season ticket holder at Craven Cottage yeah. For a little while, when all the crowd would shout, Steed, whenever Malbrand yeah, touched yeah. the ball, whatever. Life at Fulham. Let's talk about the stadium, for example. Do you have affection for the stadium? I love it, yeah. It's, it's nuts, isn't it? It's amazing, yeah. I remember being the away team going there and you'd hate it. Like, the dressing room was half the size of this room we're in now, like, horrendous. I.e., uh, not big. Uh, like, you're getting changed on skips and just horrendous. Mind you, the, the home one isn't much bigger, but, <laughs> oh, listen, obviously, I trophies what have you at Chelsea won something at Blackburn that's where I started but probably coinciding with having a wife two kids that's probably the happiest time in my life football in life was probably at Fulham first couple of years definitely just incredible amazing set of lads that you go to war with Craven Cottage it's such charm I don't know it's just that should matter to us I think rather than just turn up take your 200,000 pounds a week play quite well and, and sort of play in a soulless bowl yeah. Yeah, that, that is a beautiful part of the world as well. Like, it's, it's, yeah. I, I, listen, I'm going to venture out here. I don't know if it matters to you, but when I moved to Barcelona, I had to choose between Madrid or Barcelona, and part of it was the influence of Steve Archibald went to Barcelona, played for Aberdeen. But I need to be near water. I actually need to be near water. And Madrid's got a pissy little river that doesn't count. And yeah. when I was there, like living by the Thames and being near the Thames, yeah. it's just such a magnetic, hypnotic, historic, beautiful river. And it's kind of like, when you see it out of the corner of your eye, you feel like it's going to flow into the stadium. Yeah. It's that close yeah. to the bottom of yeah. the, the stand. It's, it's epic. Yeah, um, I don't think they've... I think they were planning on building a, an extra 10,000 on top of the Riverside stand, but I think that'll be put by the, the wayside for now. Again, like Blackburn, just so sad to see them down there. But for me, they brought it on themselves. The way they ran the club for the, yeah. the couple of seasons before they got relegated there... A squad of 20 and like you're, I'm talking 10, 11, 12 lone players mm-hmm. were coming in every Christmas, then the start of the season. So they were dicing with debt mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. So they brought on themselves. I'd have no qualms about that. How did you end up there? What was the actual moment when somebody said, listen, do you fancy um, Fulham? Yeah, it was probably me chasing a move away from Newcastle. I scored the goal that sent them down. Mm-hmm. Like, when that went in, I was just like, my God, I can't put that more into this. And I don't know. Like, I'm a big believer going deep, like the law of attraction, just positive. And, I like that, yeah. And me there, I guess I was there, what was it, three years? I'm like, fucking, this is awful. I need to get out of here. It's so bad. I'm not enjoying it. And eventually, I just brought it all up upon myself. And <laughs> I said, scored the OG to send it down. I thought, what the hell? So I did pre-season, Chris Uton was there, but I just thought to myself, you just need to get out. And actually, in life, it's probably an unhealthy situation yeah, to be in. Yeah, I, well, I remember I'm... knowing I was going to get a bad injury. I just knew it. I told a few people, I was like, something bad's going to happen to me. I'm like, I think any walk of life and any job, you just bring it upon you. These positive people that go out and are amazing, it's because they're positive and it comes back to them. And I ended up getting a bad injury about two weeks later. I was out for 10 months dislocating my foot I was just like you need to sort your head out me 
And the only way in the end was just to leave Newcastle and go mm-hmm. to Fulham. And it was me probably chasing a move. It wasn't even Roy looking for me. It was my agent, obviously, was with Roy Hodgson at Blackburn. And he says, yeah, we'd love to have Damien down here. And again, I like massive wage cut. I was obviously on a good deal at Newcastle. I think I more than half my wages. Yeah. But I just want to go play, enjoy, be happy, get married and, and start a family. And I, I just need to get away from Newcastle to do that. And the minute I met Roy, it was straightforward enough. It was yeah, amazing coach. He's like one of my, I guess, fathers, dads in football, you call him. Because you kind of principally, you know, you made your career as a left winger. Occasionally people had played you maybe off a striker yeah. or... It seemed to me that Roy was quite keen sometimes playing you on the right coming in. It kind of just all fell into place. Uh, Clint Dempsey was a right footer on the left and he scored an awful lot of goals. Like So to be fair, I probably would have done well to dislodge him. But uh, I don't know, just as you get older, I've always tried to add strings to me bow. So throughout the years, I probably left it too late. I wish I started, as I tell the kids that now, I wish I started when I was 15, just right foot, right foot, right foot. And now... I prefer kicking a ball with my right foot rather than my left, which is... the work you put in. Yeah, and so that's probably eventually when I hit 30, I, I could play there. I could obviously cut in. Anyone could do that if yeah. you're left-footed, but I was happy going down the wing and crossing the ball in as well, which I possibly couldn't have done at pace 10 years ago when I was at Chelsea and Blackburn. So it just kind of all fell into place there and didn't look back. I more or less became a right-winger, which is amazing after playing 15, 20 years as a left-winger, you know? Showed your affection... For Claudio Ranieri by turning up at his place in Rome and dumping him out of Europe. Went on to... It's quite a commonplace result, actually. I saw the other day there was an Aston Villa-Everton game and somebody was the statistic is, this is the most um, often repeated uh, fixture in the history of the English First Division. And, and throughout my life, I'm much older than you, the most regular result I've ever heard is um, Fulham 4, Juventus 1. I mean, what the actual fuck? First leg 3-1. Yeah, 3-1, and I think they scored then they're, after five minutes. They're peppered with World Cup winners. Yeah. Who, who's the boy? Ugly one at the back. Cannavaro. Yeah, there's not bad. Alex Del there. Piero. Yeah. Fabio Grosso. Trezeguet, I think. Yeah. So Zaccherini is the coach. Yeah. League-winning Zaccherini. Yeah. Over to you, Damien. Like I said, it was just a good group of lads that you'd go to war with. But yeah, even uh, while well, we were 3-1 down, they scored after five minutes. You could hear the whole... A Craven Cottage just deflated. So we effectively tie over. But I don't know, we just kept going. I think we scored two goals within a couple of minutes. And I think it would just galvanise any team. Like it wasn't anything that was said at, at half time or in between ourselves. We just kept going. And we were, like, I don't know how much you watch us that season, but like we were a slick team. Probably no world beaters or world class players, you could say, if you compare it to Juventus. But like we were one hell of a team and we could have beating anyone there. Um, I think Man United came a couple of weeks later before we spanked them 3-0, played them off the park. And we did that to most people that year. Shakhtar Donetsk, like they're the closest thing I've seen to Barcelona. And I know it's at a different level, but when we played them, they had all the boys that are Fernandinho, Villian, all them lot, and they were just incredible. But we put them out. So, yeah, so there wasn't as much that was said from Roy, from us, and we were just a hell of a good team. I thought, anyway, maybe I'm biased, but we were a slick outfit and... The thing that appeals to me is the romanticism of, you know, Roy's been there at Inter. It's not maybe gone particularly well. Juventus are just such a historic name for me. They mean things to me in my career because of various different occurrences. I suppose it was at the old Deli Alpi Stadium, yeah. which is a bit of a blow. No, yeah, it wasn't. Uh, There's no atmosphere. Yeah. You turn up, it's 3-1. You, even a good group would have been capable of coming back to London. And then you can see that it's, it's equivalent only to... I was reporting on the treble season for Manchester United and they... 
the only game where they really played poorly on route to the treble, sort of the Champions League part of the treble, sorry, is only the Juventus when they're not in the game. And Conte, who's now apparently going to be Chelsea's yeah. next manager, I think scores, and, and I think Giggs gets a late, late header at Old Trafford, and they're 1-1, and they're, they've been outplayed. And you go there, and it's the Delhi Albi full, and we are sitting down like mm-hmm. sort of typewriters, and people are... It was Blackburn Rover style of youth. There were bottles full of yellow stuff thrown down yeah. as coins, stones, yeah. spit, whatever. We're trying to work. The players are going through all that, and they're 2 0 down after five and a half seconds to Pippo and Zaghi, meaning that they're 3 1 down yeah. with an away goal against, and they come back and win that. And I think what you did that night in Craven Cottage, you've spoken about it in a quite matter of fact way. But in terms of the romanticism of football, in terms of it, the mouse that roared, that's not derogatory. Fulham is a club. Which hasn't won a lot of yeah, things, well, and it's a right to, you're yeah. 3-1 down, then 4-1 down, then you... I think well, we had no right to, yeah, and, but not taking any shine off. Like, they weren't a great Juventus team, I don't think, anyway. Maybe over the two legs, they weren't. You probably no, I'm you made them look not good, but if you look at the personnel, the t- yeah. maybe they weren't such a good yeah. unit. Yeah, possibly that. I said, in the end, I think we just steamrolled them, and that's amazing hearing that, probably because they were 4-1 up, and we ended up steamrolling them. But like I said... It was just black and white. We were a hell of a good team that maybe people didn't know. Well, all that's left is, is for you to say something a little bit about what it's meant to you for, you know, to be one of the boys in green. Um, because I've been at a couple of tournaments where I followed you. I was at the 2012 tournament where you played against Spain and whatever. The World Cup excites people. The, the game against Spain where you're still talked about in Spanish football, which is understandable because they like people with skill. When you look back on it all, has it been a, a satisfying experience? Do you ever tire of it talking about 2002? Uh, and what was this? Sorry, I've got a butterfly in mind now because I'm excited and I've drunk too much tea. What was the celebration in uh, Saudi Arabia well, I think over in Japan and that side of the world, I guess, it's, there's an awful lot of bone and, and what have you. And Robbie obviously had his cartwheel and his bow and arrow st- stuff going on. I was just like in the hotel and getting ready for the game. I was like, what if you score tonight? What would be? It just came to me. Um, said the fans were always bound to me and what have you. So came from that read. I think I was brushing my teeth. I was like, oh, I'll try that later <laughs> if I if I, uh, I score and end up, I guess, being a bit of an iconic. They loved it, didn't they? Celebrate, yeah. And like I still see pictures of that now. It's outside the door there. I just saw on, I on the way that. in, yeah. Just, there was something on social media. So I'm not on it, but the lad sent a true to me for my birthday, uh, reminiscing, saying happy birthday, Duffer. And a, a three-minute clip of me from the Spain game. And I hate listening to myself, and I actually always hated kind of watching myself play football as well. But I clicked on it this morning, and Mendieta, our good friend, was in mm. it. He was in a couple of the clips, mm. <laughs> bouncing off me. I didn't realise I played that well. I guess because you were just doing what yeah, you what did, I do, though. yeah. Like it's I guess it's a blur. Like I didn't. Well, I saw that clip for the first time about six months ago, and then obviously watched it again this morning. I can't remember the stuff I did. I was like, wow, bloody hell. That wasn't bad. But, um, so can you imagine what people watching it who aren't you, who are going, oh, no, that's... Yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah, it's, I guess it's still talked about now with Irish fans. Um, listen to 100 most proudest day. I know it sounds cheesy, but like it's talked about Brian Kerr he We'd be in tears, you know, going out on the pitch. Like most national anthems, I was in tears, you know. Just no better feeling in life. I wish I was put a bit more, I guess, performances that I did against Spain. Maybe delivered a few more of them, I don't know, but sometimes you have to listen to the body and, like, my body's fucked. <laughs> to be brutally honest, I've had nine ops, four and probably major, major surgery. So the fact that I got to 36, I've been lucky, put in a good shift. But uh, the World Cup and Spain and the bouts, look back to the they, they weren't kind of 
revered the way that they've become because they were still viewed as the, the talent with a crystal jaw, really. But boy, the origins of what would become a really dominant Spain side was there. When I've talked to the players about 2002, they know that they got through by the skin of their teeth there. Now, I mm. think that one of the things that they liked about your skills was that it was nerveless. It was what they, they liked to have Spanish football culture still, not every part of it, revolves a little bit around the concept of the man in the cape against the bull. Mm. Yeah, which is where the white hankies come from, both approval and disapproval, but there is something in their spirit and it's inherited and it's taught about if you can show grace under pressure, whether you agree with the art of the bullfighting or not, it's something about bravery and grace and style. And that's when people in the football industry in Spain have talked to me about that day, mm. not only talk about you, but that you're yeah. the principal part they talk yeah. about, about the emblematic of that Ireland performance. The one thing I would say, like you said, uh, I was probably young, I didn't even know the scale of the tournament or whatever, I just went out and played like I was on the street. And I do think you lose that, uh, that fearlessness as you get older, maybe being coached and what have you. Like now, if I'm playing the same game, I'd probably just try and keep the ball or, or pass back. And maybe it is coached out of you. I don't know, it's maybe sad to hear, but I definitely do think that that happens. Like some of the places I was running with the ball there in the game, managers would be pulling their hair out nowadays to be like, whoa, whoa, stop there. I'm telling you just to pass the ball backwards, go out the other side. So possibly a bit coached out of me. So yeah. You learn repercussions as well. Yeah. If you love a club yeah, you, or you're in a club, you go, oh, geez, that mistake cost me. A, it's horrible. Again, that, yeah. That, yeah, you, yeah. Like, for example, um, I, before we sat down with Chris Waddle, we considered about, because if you ask, you, you've proved that you're in the Chris Waddle camp. That often if you ask a sportsman or woman about their art, they might not be able to explain it because sometimes it's innate or they've developed it without thinking about it. And maybe it's actually quite useful to develop it without yeah. thinking about it because it takes that yeah. pressure out of your head as well. Sorry but, just to interrupt. I'm... There's a winger at Rovers now and he's got a lot of ability and all, but like I struggle coaching him because I don't know how I did it. So, like you said, it's innate. I just kind of taught myself on the street. I don't know how, it just kind of happened. And now, like, when the manager asked me to go work with him for 20 minutes, I'm walking across thinking, I don't really know what to say here because I don't know how I did it. So, mm-hmm. if I don't know how I did it, fuck knows how I'm going to tell him. Well, I don't know, like, for example, I, you know, I'm not doing this in any way to be embarrassing, but the fortune of my timing and some of the people who employ me have allowed me to speak at length with Messi several times. Yeah. He doesn't thrill to talk about football. He will, and he's got better over the years. Yeah. But in, in two of the interviews, he talked about things that I always thought about you, which is he, he talked about the, what it's like being kicked. Obviously, with rule changes over his career, it's got easier and more protected. But initially, he was kicked all the time. And he would say, like, well, if, if I get really done in the first five, ten minutes, I feel after that, I'm so involved in the game, I kind of, unless something's broken, I don't feel it. I just want the ball to get back up and go on. Another thing that he talks about a lot is that I've asked him about what he does. I don't think he was lying, but I also don't know if I got the truth. And he says he just, when, when he's got the ball, the patterns and the movement and, and the, where space is, just comes into his head. Yeah. It's not actively yeah. thinking about yeah. it. When you were, like, not just that game against Spain, but that's what's caused this discussion and that inability to, to talk mm. to your winger at the club, at Rovers at the moment. Can you remember thinking? Like, if, if I do this, he'll go there and that'll be a space. And, and you look back and saw, either when I went there, maybe I wouldn't do it now. What, what was the type of thing that would have been in your head then? Or was it, was it all subconscious or what? Yeah, I found the minute I started thinking about my game, that's when I struggled. And I'm sure it's the same for most. It just sounds cheesy, just let it happen, just let it flow, I don't know. Did you see space? Or did you, like, say, if I take the ball this way, 
I know that there'll be somebody behind me or I know that if I go this way, that player doesn't like going there or if I drag him, he couldn't keep up with me last time. Does that go through your head at a million miles an hour? Oh, like stuff like that. Like you mentioned Van Bronckhurst earlier, like most people, to be fair, are probably quicker than him. So stuff like that, yeah, I'm going to run him every time because he can't catch me. I think Newman, he was the same. I remember playing him here. Big Arthur for Holland. Yeah. yeah. Was he on that Barca as well? Did he not go to Barca? No, he's Ajax, was he? He'd been, he'd have been... I he went to Barca for a while. Maybe I'm wrong. But stuff like that, when you know you've the legs on a... Yeah, I'm going to run him every time. But I don't know, all my flicks, tricks, movements was just happened. And subconsciously, I'd, yeah, I don't know how. And that's why I say I find it hard now to relate to the kids probably a bit. Well, they're lucky. Speaking of the kids, that your training session is probably halfway started already. <laughs> Um, I did try to warn you about how long I could happily talk football about. The way to conclude is that it's been a joy watching you, but to hear that thing about, like, it's time to heal my life and find a club where I'll enjoy my football and take a wage cut and be happy, and then to see what happened thereafter is going to make, I know, the people who listen to this feel better about football, feel happier about football. And uh, the things we've talked about is going to make a lot of people's commute or they're mowing the grass or walking the dog, whatever, a lot better. That's down to the power of your football and your character and your way, your way you talk about the game we love. So thank you for doing it and thank you for sharing it with us. It's kind of a privilege, again. Now listen, um, I don't do many interviews, as you know, so uh, it's a privilege to be here. Now seriously, uh, you're a love of the game. I've always loved listening to you. And yeah, it's just your knowledge, your passion. So the minute I said... I saw your name on the email, I was like, I'm going straight there. So, listen, thanks a million for having me. It's, I could chat football with you all day long. Well, you, you, you were uh, that's a dangerous that. thing probably to say. <laughs> but um, now, listen. Now you're learning about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, now, listen, it's been a pleasure. And, uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Shamrock Cheers. Rovers are very lucky. And when Josie Mnuchin takes over at Manchester United, I'll expect to have a phone call from him to <laughs> say, come on, hit, come on out my attacking play. David Duff. Cheers, Grant. An absolute pleasure, man. Cheers. Thanks man. so Thank much. Yeah. Cheers. I think the only proper way for me to respond to that kind of end to the big interview is, oh shucks. I was kind of embarrassed, but also glad that um, the work we did at Sky on Revista, trying to bring the background, the details of Spanish football, La Liga, the excellence over the last 15, 16 years to the UK and Ireland, it mattered, it worked and, and Damien Duff was chuffed with what we were doing and that makes me proud. What a talker, what a man. I hope you enjoyed that, I hope you loved it. The big interview continues to go from strength to strength. We reckon we're well over 2 million listens and downloads now, thanks to all of you. But I'll never tire of saying this, so you hear it every two weeks, but you matter. You saved us, you backed us on Kickstarter, and several people, some of whom I've named already, said we'll pay extra for a shout-out. Here's the shout for Callum Waite and Dave Bodymore. Callum and Dave said... We'll go the extra mile. We'll pay hard-earned money to try and save the big interview, to make it continue. I hope, Callum, Dave, that it was this type of interview that you thought of when you were shelling out your hard-earned cash. We love you. Loving kisses. Thanks. I need to say as well that Backpage came up with the creativity and the thought for this and backed it and pushed it and made me do it, and they're clever. We produce it jointly. Neil, Martin... Me, Graham Hunter. Join our mailing list, get the news about the podcast, your chance to put your questions in. We had a couple during this one. There'll be a couple more next time as well. Sign up to grahamhunter.tv. It's our website. It's free. Get your name on the mailing list. You'll always know first who the next guest is. You'll get the podcast sent directly to you. We'll be in touch with you. You'll be in touch with us. 
The show is edited by Alex Adia Audio Boom. She does brilliantly. Our theme music is by the massively talented Beer Jacket. Go out and buy a couple of his CDs. Go and listen to him live. He's a talent, proper talent. If you like us, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your fix. I mean podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'll say it again. We love football. We love you. Adios. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.